Welcome to the I Run My Life podcast. I'm Tyler DeRusso with Modern Realty. Today's guest is Matt Smith. Matt has competed in everything from bodybuilding, powerlifting, strongman, 50-mile runs, 5-mile swims, 200-plus-mile bike rides. He served in our country. He's got a pretty beefed-up resume. And in the interview, uh, he hits home pretty hard on the importance of discipline that he uses both in his athletics, personal life, all over. So let's get to it. All right, here we go. Week two, uh, episode two of the I Run My Life podcast. Uh, today, I got our first guest. This is Matt Smith, the Iron Badger. Uh, Matt has done 50 milers, a couple of them, 100Ks, powerlifting, strongman, bodybuilding, uh, served our country. What am I missing? I think that's it. That's it? I think that's it. Awesome. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think I have any more room on my that's, resume say, that's, for, that's for anything a, else. That's <laughs> enough. Um, so the idea here is just to let people know you can go out, you can do hard things, you can get shit done. You don't have to be an extraordinary person to do that. You can be anybody, Joe Schmo from the side of the road, yeah. as long as you have the right mindset, right? Yeah. Uh, which is obviously something you figured out, you have, you do hard things all the time. Um, as a kid, Growing up, tell me a little bit about your childhood. Was that something that was instilled with you? Did you have any sort of interest in doing hard things like that when you got older, or what was that like? Yeah, so growing up was pretty, um, pretty normal middle class. Um, uh, my my dad came from a farming family. Um, you know, he played sports in high school, but nothing, you know, nothing too extravagant beyond that. He went in the military um, after high school, and then and then just worked. Um, and so my parents were super supportive of me wanting to play sports, but not necessarily, they didn't, they didn't push either, um, or maybe encourage a higher level of that. They just came to the games, um, you know, watched our games and, and, and cheered us on. So, you know, today when I see, you know, parents hiring coaches and, 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 and doing a lot of extra, that's not, that's not the environment that I came from at all. Um. I think for some reason, mine was just internal from the get go. Like I can remember all the way back to, you know, little league and first, second, third grade, um, having this internal desire of like, I had to make the all-star team. Like that was the, that was the goal that I set for myself. Nobody else cared whether I made the all-star team, but that's what I wanted. Um, and it never really, never really stopped. Okay. So what did we, High school is when you started playing sports, or to kind of start in middle school, little leagues. Well, started uh, literally first grade. Okay, I, mean, I played I played little league and soccer um, right away um, in fourth grade. Fourth grade or fifth grade, I made the transition from soccer to pop Warner football. Okay, um, so I started playing contact full contact football fourth grade, fifth grade, um, all the way through middle school. Um, by the time I got to high school, um, I was playing football, baseball, and wrestled. So between probably the football and the wrestling, is that where you, fair to say you fell in love with the weight room at that point? Or is it just something yeah. you did because it's what was needed to do for, uh, propel yourself to the sport? Yeah, definitely football. And the funny thing about that is, is I was actually technically better at baseball. Um, and, and really, um, I started playing varsity baseball my, my freshman year and played all four years varsity baseball. 
but I loved football more. Okay. Uh, so, you know, back in the 80s, um, you didn't really have like seven-on-seven seven summer teams. You didn't have year-round training. You didn't have weight room after school. Um, so it was just a, me and a, a handful of other guys that would get the janitor to open the school early for us before school and go in and lift. Um, if you think about the old um, weight cages, literally chain link fence, the old silver chrome yeah. universal that had like five stations. That's all we had. Okay. Um, and there was nobody up there with us. Nobody telling us what to do. We just threw, weights, threw some weights around. We just threw weights <laughs> around and watched old, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. I wasn't in that camp. So. I was the Allen Iverson camp where uh, I don't know if you ever saw that quote of him or not, but people asked him about his workout routine and they mentioned like, uh, you don't, you don't lift that weights at all. He says, no, man, that shit's too heavy. Yeah, I don't lift yeah, weights. Yeah. <laughs> but then after high school, we went straight into the service, right? I made a, a temporary stop in college for one semester. Um, honestly, that one semester solidified to me that that just wasn't really the place for me. Um, I was really fidgety, struggled with the classroom setting. I got I to gotta move. I got to do stuff. Yeah. I got to use my hands. Um, and the military was always a draw for me because I was just raised outdoors, hunting, fishing. Um, my dad had a military background, my grandpa um, in the military. So uh, it was an easy, easy path for me to go straight to the Army okay. um, from there. So in the you were in there, how long were you in for? Um, three years active duty, 12 years total. Okay. So when it comes to doing tough things, hard things, obviously there was a lot of that in there. Mm-hmm. Do you have a moment from any of that time period that really sticks out of where wow, look at, I didn't think I was going to be able to get this or I wasn't expecting to have to do anything like this, but holy shit, I made it through and look what I am on the other side of it now. That's a really good question. Um, basic training for me was like two-a-days in football. Okay. So, you know, having come again through that little bit earlier generation of, of football where coaches, you know, could still put their hands on you and, you know, I had a coach that chewed and – spit chewing tobacco all over the place when he was yelling at you and stuff that really set the stage for basic training to just be an extension of that so having a drill sergeant you know yelling and screaming and you know whatever was it was fine for me um i i can't remember a particular aha moment in basic training that i thought i don't know if i can do what they're asking of me um but i did it anyway but more pronounced for me in my military experience was when I finally got a seat at Air Assault School. And Air Assault School is a really tough um, course to get, and it's called the 10 Hardest Days in the Army. Okay. Um, and I went at 31 years old. So I was already in E6, 31 years old. Um, now, the, is that later or sooner than most people would be going into it? Yeah, way later. Okay. The, the whole class was full of 18, 19, 20-year-olds. Okay. So, so typically kind of the infantry path, for most of those um, infantry soldiers would would go to air assault school. I was a crash rescue firefighter. I circled back and got a colonel to um, get me a seat in this school at 31. Also very difficult because I'm only five foot three, and the obstacle course is 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 really hard for people that are that are shorter. So the cadre, literally, when I showed up between my age and my height, the cadre said. You know, I mean, we love you to death and we believe in you, but you're never going to make it through this course. You're just, you're just not going to, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to hang and, and you're too short. 
Now, with, with our mindset, I know there's part of you in there that's going, you know, fuck you, I'm going to get it mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. But was there part of you that was like, well, shit, these guys do this all the time. If they're thinking that there's <clears> obviously <throat> something about this that maybe I do need to second guess this. I, I was just mad. Okay. I was just mad. I, I, was, I was mad because it took me... It took me 10 years of begging commanders to get me a seat in this school because I wanted to jump out of helicopters really bad. Um, and it took me 10 years to get there. And then on, on, the, on the first day to be told that there probably was, you know, a, a great likelihood I'm not going to make it through. I was just I was mad. And I just was like, I'm going to do whatever I can. And then I guess if I can, I can. But right. Um, I'm going to I'm going to leave it all on the table. Give it hell. Yeah. Perfect. So. After we get home then, what was the transition like back into civilian life? That had to have been difficult in itself. I'm, I'm sure just a lack of structure alone and having to figure that all back out on your own was probably an obstacle, right? Yeah, it, it's an obstacle for most people in the military um, to, to really adapt back to civilian life. And I think, that the, I think that the military is doing a better job now of helping soldiers and sailors and Marines to, to, um, to make that transition. But, you know, when, when I got out, when I got off active duty anyway, in 94, 94, 95, somewhere around there, um, there was nothing like literally I just turned in my gear and I signed off on some medical and dental forms and uh, I, I got in a truck and drove home to Michigan. Okay. That, that was it. I was like, there was no, <laughs> Hey, you know, you need to be prepared. Like you don't think like other people anymore. Right. Um, so yeah, it is hard. And it's still sometimes so hard today. You know, Julie, Julie really had to kind of mentor me and teach me a lot about how I was talking to people and what expectations I was placing on people and what my standards were and that, and, and help me, um, to really bring that, recalibrate that back yeah. in. Yeah. So Going through that then, is that where I'm guessing you reintroduced yourself back into the gym and kind of use the gym as a space to help recalibrate yourself back into? What was that like? Yeah. Um, I, in addition to the regular PT that we did um, in the Army, uh, I always lifted after work anyway, too. So I never really stopped lifting. And okay. then I came home, and so the obvious first thing for me was find a gym um and and keep working out so there was really never any gap in that it was just kind of a continuation of of what i was doing um but it really you know co competitions and and physical fitness being competitive really didn't ever dawn on me until i came home from the army that was the first time that i was like oh hey there's these competitions stuff i can go do i can compete against somebody else and yeah see, you know who's <laughs> Right. You know, who's bigger than the other one? Well, so with that, going into these competitions, they're new to you. Obviously, you can move a lot of weight. That's not a question. But when you go to these competitions and you see all these other guys there, is that, a, and maybe it's not your mindset, but do you feel it's a, when you walk into the room, it's a, look at the little guy, look at the short guy. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that was definitely played a part in things, especially when you first started out before your name got out there, Smitty's Ironworks and things like that? Did that play a part? Yeah, a, a little bit. And, and to be honest with you, I didn't. I didn't really recognize or feel like I was so much shorter than everyone else because I saw myself on the same level. Yeah. No, I'm glad you say that. And I'll, I'll see occasionally I'll still see a picture of me and someone else that's a lot taller than me. And I'll be like, oh, man, I'm freaking short. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, I don't feel that. Right. Right. When I'm standing talking to somebody that's tall, I don't, I, I don't feel that at all. Yeah. No, I'm glad you say that. Cause I, I feel the exact same way being short. Also everything I've ever gone to running, it doesn't really matter so much on the basketball court. It's always something. And I feel mm -hmm. it every time I go on the basketball court because mm -hmm. people definitely point it out to you, but it's, it's the same way. I feel like a lot of people think there's that thought process of mm -hmm. I'm the short guy, but as a short guy, you're just out there to move weight. You're yeah. out there to get a bucket. You're yeah. out there to run the race. You don't really care about any of that. So what was then the hardest obstacle for you mentally when you started really diving into these? You started with strongman. You started with powerlifting. Started with powerlifting. Started with powerlifting, and then strongman came along pretty pretty quickly after that. And what were some failures, or I have to keep banging away at this moments mm -hmm. there? Um, I've always been really bad for some reason at at the deadlift, and so in powerlifting, you know, squat, bench, deadlift. For the three disciplines, um, bench came pretty easy to me. A squat was really, really easy. Deadlift was always lacking, and and I couldn't I, I couldn't figure out why. Um, to to be really really good, you've got to be good at all three. Okay. So you know you can win at the local level, and you can even win you know at the state level. But going beyond the state level, you know, it, it's just like going from high school sports to college sports to pro sports. I mean, the gap gets shorter and shorter and shorter. So, you know, getting to the national level and realizing that I couldn't compete at the national level because um, my deadlift was lacking. And I, I, I literally tried everything in the world. I tried to deadlift more. I tried to deadlift less. I tried to add in different exercises. Um, I just physiologically... Um, the deadlift is not a good lift for me. And so that was a struggle. Um, that, that's always been a struggle. Did you feel that at the meets when you're walking up to do the deadlift? Did you start to have those thoughts of like, shit? Yeah, going, yeah. You're because, well, together. in particular, the deadlift is the last lift of the meet. Okay. So squats are first. So, you know, everybody squats. And, and I get a pretty sizable lead over other people. I might squat, you know, 550, 600 pounds. And my competition will squat 450, 500. And so I'm, I'm going into the bench with a lead. Uh, we're all fairly equal in the bench. I might be just slightly ahead in the bench still. So I'm carrying a lead into the deadlift, but I'm, but I'm looking at the board going, if I'm not 50 to 100 pounds ahead, they're going to catch me in the deadlift. Yeah. So, yeah, it's hard walking into the deadlift, walking up to the bar already thinking, this is going to be the thing that's going to bring me down. So what, when you stepped up to, what do we call it? The box, the mat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the platform. The platform. When you step up to the platform and we're just full of self-doubt, here we go again. I've only got a 50 pound lead. That's not enough. Mm -hmm. What are the final thoughts? Cause obviously, even though you, you've got that fear, you're trying the competitor in you, you're trying to get over that hump. What are the last thoughts? If you remember any of like, Hey, here's what we're going to do different today. Or here's how we're going to overcome this. Um, two things that we did quite a bit in powerlifting. One would be one of your good friends um, slapping you across the face okay. before you approach the bar. <laughs> okay. Um, matter of fact, I'll, I'll never forget one of my friends literally smacked me so hard. And he's a huge guy. He's like six foot five. And he smacks me with this big, huge hand. And he, and he turned one of my eyelids inside out, right? <laughs> and so I'm standing there getting ready to try to walk up to the bar. And I'm, I'm like trying to fix my eyelid before I walked up to the bar. Um, and the second is ammonia. 
ammonia capsules. Okay. So, you know, I know it doesn't exactly answer your question the way you're it, Well, it gets it, your mind off but, of negativity. But that's what you do to just bring up, to yeah. just bring the rage. Yeah. You know, and just snap the ammonia, <laughs> snort, <laughs> run through and, a wall. And you're just like seeing red. You're just like, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> so speaking of running through a wall, you eventually made the transition uh, into endurance sports. Mm-hmm. Was... Via bodybuilding. Okay. So talk about that transition then. How yeah. did you go from strongman, bodybuilding, I want to go run, bike, swim? Yeah. So through all the years of owning the gym, competing in powerlifting, powerlifting is great because, you know, it's not exactly a physique competition by any stretch. So I like to eat. It was great because you could pick up heavy things and you could eat. Yeah. People bugged me forever about you should do a bodybuilding show you should do a bodybuilding show and i'm like ah dieting is horrible it's horrible why would i want to do that i was finally getting close to 40 and i was like okay i feel like i need a new challenge i've i've, I've accomplished a lot in powerlifting i need a new challenge i need to see if i'm disciplined and 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 test that discipline with within me and so i signed up for uh, a bodybuilding show um through the course of that doing cardio the one thing i knew from the military is if you want to burn calories and you want to drop weight run ellipticals and stationary bikes and all that stuff is fine but at the end of the day run yeah so i started running and and i started running to to drop weight for that and i refound this passion for running and i was like man i really like this so I kept running through my prep for the bodybuilding show, which a lot of people said, you're going to have to stop running because it's going to take away too much muscle from your legs. Um, I did not react that way. My okay. legs, my legs, and, and, and even today, just running, my legs are really, my quads and, and calves are, are pretty developed, um, and they seem to respond really well to the stimulus of running. So I kept running the whole way. And the way it worked out was I had – been running so much and liked it enough that I wanted to go try running a race. And so I did my first bodybuilding show on one weekend. And the very next weekend, I was in Cincinnati running a half marathon at the Flying Pig with 30,000 people with no clue what I was doing. (laughs) No clue. So when you you go there with no clue, as a competitive person, as a competitive person who's competed at a really high level with um, uh, powerlifting, What's that like going into a whole new thing? Holy shit, I'm going to go into this big race. This isn't my element. I'm probably going to get my ass handed to me. Are you Are you looking on how you stack up, or is this strictly, I wonder how I can do? Yeah, I, I just wondered how I could do. And, and, you know, you don't know what you don't know sometimes. Yeah. And so, like, not coming from a running pathway, I didn't know a lot about running shoes and, and, and clothes and, like, Garmin watches and different things like that. So... I showed up to this race with 30,000 people in downtown Cincinnati with a cotton bodybuilding tank top on, no watch to be able to know what my pace was, and a pair of Under Armour shoes. Um, Ready to rock. It just was like, here we go, you know, and I'm looking around like, I don't I don't really look like the rest of these people. Plus, I had just done a bodybuilding show, so I was pretty ripped, pretty big, and a lot of people looked at me like I was an alien too. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know what my pace was the whole time. I didn't know what was good or what wasn't good. I just ran. Okay. Um, and I just ran. And I came across the finish line. 
And I'll never forget, it's where I fell in love with competitive running. I had just dieted for five months, extremely strict. I come across the finish line. They try to put a goofy silver blanket around me, which I was like, what are you doing? What are we what doing? Are you, yeah, what, <laughs> get, get off me. Yeah. And then I went into this shoot of tables of food. One table after another of every food Bagels, bananas, that you chips, can't eat candy, cookies. bodybuilding. And I just was like, let's go. There it is. Let's go. Was there and beer? It, you know, I don't, I don't remember there specifically being beer, but I just remember all the food. Um, and I remember thinking, where has this sport been my whole life? <laughs> I was like, these guys know how to do it. Um, so I was hooked. And then, um, you know, I saw my times afterwards. A few people asked me, you know, what my time was, which um, I ran like a 155. Okay. Um, my first my first time out, and I didn't know whether that was good or not. People were like, "Wow, that's pretty, you know, that's pretty yeah. good for somebody that didn't train for a race, right? Didn't know not a runner, doing. yeah." I'm like, well, "I don't know. I just ran." But that's cool that you say the first time you went out there. That's when you're like, "Oh, I can I can fall in love with this. This mm -hmm. is this is really cool." Because I feel like that's what so many people struggle with is they just think of running, like that's just a yucky thing to do on a treadmill at the gym. Mm -hmm. No one likes it. It's exhausting. But once you get uh, into an app. I feel like you have to do a race because yeah. running on your own, you can find a way to like it. But once you get to that atmosphere and the community is so important or supportive, I know Frazier just mentioned the same thing when he did his first race and he just met people and he goes, this yeah. is, and I, I struggled after high school because I realized that's what I loved about it is running with my buddies every day. And now I don't have that. And I don't think I like this anymore. So as we're transitioning into talking about running, what would you say is the biggest thing you learned in powerlifting that you still would say is a lesson you use to this day pain is temporary okay pain is temporary um what you think sucks um doesn't last forever um and so just just suck it up and Get keep through pushing it. through it perfect yeah. i mean i think i think powerlifting is an amazing like segue into it and most people aren't going to do that i mean um, right. They, they just aren't. But I, I thought it was a great segue because you're just, it's just the discipline is the same, the discipline to the regiment of the program um, and, and, and really doing it on the days that you don't feel like doing it. All, all of that is so much the same that it, it really sets the stage for, okay, now I have a different schedule and I follow that schedule because that's the schedule. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Good advice. So what I want to focus most on um, with the running portion is obviously you started with a half marathon. You've done 5Ks. You posted a 5K, mm -hmm. um, did a full marathon, and then you started getting into the really long stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess real quick, did you ever see a moment early on where you thought, I'm going to get in the really long stuff, or was it kind of eventually it just happened? Or like right away you heard about it and you're like, I'm going to do that shit one day. Yeah, I think it's um, my my obsessive uh, personality because I didn't run a 5K or 10K before the half marathon. The half marathon was my first race ever. Yep. And I immediately left that half marathon and signed up for a marathon. And then I went and ran that marathon. And even though my experience in that marathon was a train wreck, like literally, literally I fell apart at like mile 20. I still walked away from there and was like, well, what's next? And someone said, hey, I think there's this thing that it was like, you know, 50 miles. And I'm like, okay. And I signed up for a 50 miler. So I literally went half marathon, marathon, 50 miler. Progress up the ladder. 
progressed right up the ladder. You know, <laughs> so it was constantly like, whoa, okay, now we did that. What now? What do we do next? <laughs> That's fair. I had the total opposite reaction. I heard fifty miles, and I was like, yeah. what? Yeah, yeah, I thought people just stopped at twenty six point two. So you do fifties. You progress up, and then eventually, I remember I worked at Runners at the time, which is where you and I met. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it was you, or Frazier, or Steve, or somebody came in and had mentioned the double anvil. And I was never into Ironmans. I, I, I feel like to do a good triathlon, you've got to be good at one of the three or really enjoy one of the three. Mm-hmm. You've got to be decent or tolerate one of them, mm-hmm. and then you can get through the third. Yep. I really love running. I absolutely hate to bike and I'm terrible at it and I don't like open water. I don't care if it's a pool, a shark's going to get me. I'm terrified of it. Yeah. So it's never thinking about them, never even interested me. And then I hear this, that there's, there's four of you from here, right? Mm -hmm. So four guys from Midland are going down to Virginia Mm -hmm. and they're going to do a double full Ironman, Mm -hmm. which a double full Ironman is how far of a swim? 4.8 miles. And then a 224 mile bike ride. 224 mile bike. And a 52.2 mile run. Yep. So you do all the swimming first. Yep. Then you do all the biking. Yep. Then you do all the running. Yep. First one across the finish line wins. Yep. Tell me about all of that. What was, I guess let's start with, there's four of you that went all local. You all had done big, incredible things at that point. Mm-hmm. Who, who presented the idea? You remember? I would, I would. It was um, either Matt or Steve. That's what I was going to guess. It was either guess. Matt or Steve. I, I'm not sure which one of them stumbled across the double anvil, but it was either Matt or Steve. So one of them brings it to the table, and even though you've done all these things, that one had to have still given you a moment of, whoa, holy shit, are, are we going to do that? Do you remember that, that initial thought process of, here's this idea, what are we going to do? Yeah, I just thought, hell yeah, let's go. Okay, so yeah, you're far enough along where you're just ready for this. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't think I've ever, uh, Tyler, I really don't think I've ever thought about something and and it's made me nervous or scared me. Okay. I don't, I just, and I don't know if part of that is the military, part of it is the way I was, you know, raised in a very modest family or whatever. I just, I don't know. I just. Now, do you think part of that is, because even now when I think of, for example, I'm doing Trish to Bridge again this summer. Mm-hmm. I've done it once, and I, in hindsight, I complete it relatively fine. And now I know what I'm going into, so in theory, I'm better prepared, right? But I'm even more scared going in this time because yeah. I know how bad it's going to hurt yeah. and what's going to happen. Yeah. Do you think a part of you, the reason that you're not worried or you're, hell yeah, let's go do it, is because you have just a, a really big lack of fear of things? A fear of failure, I should say. Like, there's an option that I failed doing this double Iron Man, but I'm I don't care. If I fail, I fail. I'm not afraid of that. Let's go see if I don't fail. You think that? Yeah, yeah. I had DNF'd before. Okay. Um, I DNF'd my first 50 miler, um, p- partially due to lack of understanding how to manage the distance, and partially in 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 part to you know whether it was early August, it was 95 degrees, and it was kind of the perfect storm of of, uh, of not knowing how to manage the distance. You know, the, the thing about when, when we went and ran the first North country 50 miler, it was, uh, Joe LaFron boys, myself and John Bellette. And no one from this area had done anything like that. There was, um, Steve Orsini wasn't doing them yet. Tim Patterson, Matt Frazier, nobody had gone and done that yet. So we had 
no idea of how to train for it, how to manage it, how to, and, and it's so different than like a marathon where you could just jump on Google and yeah. Google a marathon <laughs> plan or, or watch shows about, you know, how to, how to handle nutrition and, and hydration and stuff. So we were, we were really on an Island, um, you know, pioneering that. And, um, that, that led to a DNF for me the first time. And for those who don't know, DNF is did not finish. So, yeah. so you didn't yeah. finish that one. So that makes yeah. sense then if you, cause I've had my first failure last summer and ever since then it's like, okay, you get that out of the way. Yeah. It happened. Now I'm not afraid of it. So, so that adds up. So you're not afraid to go to this, uh, double iron man, the, the double anvil. And you guys spent a lot of hours, a lot of weekends in the lakes, in the pools, on the bike, on the rail trail, mm -hmm. pounding pavement with your feet, getting ready for it. Mm -hmm. How long was that from kind of sit down meeting, hey, we're going to do this to race? How long was that training period for it? Well, we got together um, early in the year and then we basically trained all summer and um, that race was in October. So we probably had a solid six months or so. Um, and, and there were a lot of managing that level of training and all of us had jobs, right. And families. Um, that's really the, that's really the difficult part about those things. I mean, I remember we would have midweek rides on our schedule, um, that we need to get like 70 miles in on the bike and then need to get like a three mile swim in on a Wednesday. Yeah. So I'm at the Sanford senior center with Steve Orsini at 3 AM hopping on the rail trail with a light on my helmet and a light on my bike. And we're riding to Clarem back at 3 AM on a Wednesday morning and then working all day and then going to the lake and swimming three miles after work and going to bed and going, I'm going to bed and trying to keep up with calories. Right. You're just trying to eat enough. Eat enough. To... I think that's what a lot of people maybe don't, I don't understand might not be the right word. But they see you do this double Ironman. They see us do these things. And I think they just think, oh, that's what they do. Mm -hmm. it, and, and maybe we make it look easy. But it's it's a big commitment time-wise. And, and I think that gets swept under the rug of, and I don't think any of us pretend that that's not a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, you, you miss out on things on the weekends. You, you make mm -hmm. the decision to, uh, hey, I, I can't make that birthday party. I've got to get a, a five-hour ride and a five-hour run yeah. and a, a three-hour swim in. Um, and, and that, that's difficult to miss out on those things. Bodybuilding taught me a lot about that sacrifice because five months of bodybuilding prep, um, you know, for me in my first bodybuilding show, I dropped 47 pounds wow. in five months um, and, and came in at 148 pounds and 3% body fat. Well, over the course of that five months, I didn't have any cheat meals. I didn't have one single time that's where I ate something that wasn't weighed and calculated. And I started dieting in the fall and the show was in April. So I dieted through all of the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, my birthday, all of that. And literally walked into all of those family gatherings and work gatherings and everything else with my own cooler, my own Tupperware dish of food uh, and, and sat down and ate with everybody out of my own dish. So I think you, you either... You either have that level of commitment that, that you that you can deploy or or you don't. I see I think I think you can get there though. I think it just takes I think that I think that's what a lot of people are afraid of is 
I don't have that discipline. Yeah, that's true. And 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 I struggle with some of it. I, dieting, I can't. I like my candy way too much. I, I can't mm-hmm. diet. Could I do it if I had to? Mm-hmm. I'm sure I could, but I don't. But I don't want to. And I think that's what a lot of people think is. I don't want to get up at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spend my whole weekend away at every with everything. But I, what would you say to people who have that fear of I'm not disciplined enough of just find one thing to start with, right? All you have to do is find a building block. Yeah. If that building, if you normally get up at 8 a.m. is what I try to tell people, set that alarm for 7:30. Yeah. Get a 10 minute walk in. I know you personal trained a lot with people. Um, is that kind of something you help kind of coach discipline into mm-hmm. people that may not be instilled with it naturally? Yeah, you're absolutely right. The 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 step is not one giant step. It's 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 a progression of steps. And for most people, you know, I understand that my path was not normal. You know, doing a half marathon, then a marathon, then a fifty miler as your first three races um, is not is not the normal path. No, not at all. But but I did have the pleasure of coaching a lot of people through the normal path. And the normal path is, you know, couch to 5K. Yeah. It, it's, it's just literally, I've looked at that couch to 5K program so many times, and I just love the way it merges people in to the discipline of following something and making a commitment and seeing the commitment through. And it doesn't even matter if you walk the 5K but you You're do the, the 3.1 miles. Exactly. And you cross a line and you look back and go, I freaking did the thing. Yeah, no, and that's a big fear of people. I used to, it used to bother me um, when I worked at Runners, or even now still, when I try to go run with people because I just like to run with people. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them won't run with me. And at Runners, some people wouldn't even let me help them at Runners because you're too fast. Yeah, yeah. You don't understand what, what, what it's like to be me. Yeah. And I can respect that everyone wants to be seen through their lens, right? But I, at the same time, I'm I'm all for just help people. A kid doesn't just jump in a pool, right? You dip your toes in, mm-hmm. you get your feet in. Mom helps you swim, dad helps you swim, and you learn. So I'm glad you got to help people experience that. So we got a little off track. Back to double Ironman. Yeah. It was tough. It was yeah. really tough. That was yeah. probably the toughest thing you've done, yeah. competition-wise, yeah. right? That yeah. took you... How long to complete? 34 hours and 20 minutes or something. 34 hours and some change. So just under a day and a half Yeah. of constant movement. Constant movement. Constant kicking your own ass. Mm-hmm. How much did you sleep? Uh, they let me sleep once for 10 minutes. Okay. Um, or, or actually, I guess, you know, in an event like that, it's always uh, communication is huge with your team that's handling you. And so in discussion... Um, at, at one point in the late stages of the, of the bike portion, um, we discussed whether I would lay down for a minute and, um, they said, we really, you're doing well, you're on track, you're on pace to finish within the required time, 36 hours. 30, 36 or 38 hours, something like that is what, is what you had to, it was the cutoff, right? Pull you off the course. or Or they'll pull you off. And I was, um, I was within that, um, you know, on pace for that. And so the team, um, basically said, uh, I think you should lay down for a little bit and get some rest. And my compromise was, cause I didn't want to stop, mm-hmm. um, because it is still a race, even though right. you're racing the clock there, it's still there are other people out there. Slowing down might make you go yeah, faster yeah, later. Yeah. Um, 
So I said, all right, I'm going to lay down for 10 minutes. You wake me up in 10 minutes. If you don't wake me up in 10 minutes, I'm killing someone. Yeah. Um, literally, I was like, don't you dare let me go a second yeah, pass. Yeah, not 11 minutes. 10 minutes, um, and then was back up and, and rolling again. And that was during the bike? It was during the bike. Okay. It was after I. It was actually right after I fell asleep on the bike. I was going to say, that was yeah. my next question. Is I thought I remember hearing a story from you yeah. or from somebody else that you mm-hmm. fell asleep on the bike. Yeah. What's that like? Did you crash? You woke up, caught yourself, kind of like I, nodding off on the chair. Yeah, or what? yeah, I didn't crash, um, but pretty close. And 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 one thing to remember is, so as we're riding through the night, it was dark, and you've got a light on your bike and a light on your helmet, you know, but you really can't see that well. Right. And it was raining. Okay. So, you know, the conditions were just garbage. Um, you're on a TT bike that's got really ridiculously skinny tires. Um, they don't handle that well. They're fast, but they don't handle that well inherently. I'm on the side of the road, and I'm down in, I'm, I'm down in the tuck position. And as I dozed off, um, what seems to have happened is I, I went off into the grass, and the you know bouncing around in the grass is what kind of woke me up. And I grabbed the bars and I got back on the road and I went, whoa, holy shit. Yeah. Um, like, I think I was legitimately asleep. <laughs> yeah, that's um, startle awake. Yeah, yeah. So it was startle awake, like driving. And you hit the rumble strips and you're like, whoa, fuck. You know, right? <laughs> yeah. And you kind of go back on the road and you're like, okay. Yeah. Now you're now awake. awake. Yeah, now, now awake. you're awake. Yeah. I, I had one um, experience during Church Bridge. We were walking. Walking is way different than riding a bike. I yeah. wasn't as afraid. But yeah, we're walking. All of a sudden, next thing I know, I'm startling awake because I'm crossing over the center line and ooh, better go back yeah. over there. Yeah. So was there a point when you do these really long things and sounding as humble as possible eventually 50 doesn't sound long right especially when you're doing stuff mm-hmm. like that so 50 miles is fine but when you get to the really long stuff i have found there's a point where it's uh i'm not gonna quit but damn it i just want to be done yeah, like i'm yeah, over yeah. it i'm not having fun anymore i know i'm here because i want to do a certain goal so i got to get the goal. yada 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 all the boring stuff yeah. you tell yourself but you hit a wall no matter who you are where you just want to be done yeah when you get to that point how do you get yourself re-engage what's that internal conversation like part part of it for me in that particular setting was the team um relying on the team to kind of you know get your shit together um you know and stay in it so there's the luxury in that type of event of having the team there to support you and be strong when you're not. Do you um, find it difficult with a team? I do. I, we're very similar in this where if I'm struggling, I don't need a coddle. I need a yeah, stop yeah. crying, go 100%. get the job done. 100%. And I know you're the same way. 100%. But a lot of people, when they see us in pain, struggling, they struggle yeah. to, how do I kick this guy right now? I don't. Yeah. He's hurting. I don't want to yeah. kick him. Is, was that tough for your team to do for you? Or did you, before this thing started, let them know, I don't care what I look like, you you beat me up if I need to be beaten up. Yeah, we talked we talked about that. Okay, you know, it was a long drive to Virginia, right? So we're all just talking, right? <laughs> and it's like, well, what do you want me to do if this, and what do you want me to do if that, and and you know, I mean, Julie was with me and she knows me, so that was helpful. She'd been through a bunch of you know fifty milers and hundred k with me, um, you know, multiple you know double digit hour events, um, so she kind of knows me. Tim Strong was with me; he knows me really well. And then, and then Adam San Miguel and, and Bill Thompson, you know, they're just, they're just rock solid dudes that, that know how to coach. And so, you know, I think they were able to, um, 
they they were able to be that rock too where sometimes you know julie would legitimately go into the concerned wife phase which is like uh, you understand um, that because you're you just fell asleep on a bicycle yeah you gotta stop yeah you know um <laughs> so yeah i mean but on the long stuff like i remember in the 100k running and being out there for so long between aid stations and on a single track trail where you don't see another person for two, three, four hours and you're on an Island and, and you only have yourself. Right. Um, you have so have I guess I just really relied on, you know, you didn't come this far to, to go back now to, to come this far. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, what are the odds? I knew what a DNF felt like from the 50 miler. And I knew I never, ever wanted to feel that way again. Like I didn't, I didn't, no, no matter how much pain I had to go through to get to the finish line, I knew that was going to be less than what I felt for 364 days between one 50 miler and the next time I got to toe the line mm -hmm. to get redemption. Now, I'm glad. So are you saying that with you helping people the way you have with personal training, I, I feel like just from my experience of talking with people that so many people do beat them. A lot of people quit. Um, whether it's just starting to run, just starting to lift, just starting to diet, just starting to swim, any goal they have, mm -hmm. sewing, podcasting, anything, it gets uncomfortable, they quit, and then they're just so mad at themselves. I feel like everyone has that internal anger. Mm -hmm. But what, what would your advice be to, in that moment, in that quitting moment, get through it? What, what's your advice there to help bridge that gap for people who may not have that assistance? Yeah, totally. Um, you don't have an opportunity to quit if you didn't have an opportunity to start. Okay. So the fact my, my, my coaching to someone who, who feels that way is you had the courage to start something that other people didn't even have the courage to start. Yes. And had you not had the courage to start, then you couldn't quit or stop right, have or, the opportunity. or whatever yeah. to fail. Yep. Right. So, the fact that you had the first step of having the courage to start this endeavor, whatever it may be, um, it, you're already one step ahead of the millions of people that will never have the courage. Exactly. So that's that's it. That's I, perfect. Well said. So last thing I kind of want to really talk about, uh, and you would just mention Julie helping you through all this. Mm -hmm. So for those who don't know, Matt's wife, Julie, is an incredible athlete she's a beast she's she's a beast um it's i mean one could make the argument if we if we want to get into a debate she could be the athlete of the house right 100 yeah I, ex yeah exactly I, so what's that i mean briefly just to kind of highlight she's done a bunch of incredible things but she went she competed in the national championship for bench press right she won the national championship she won the national championship for bench and press. was on the ipf world's team for women's bench press and competed at the world competition in the Czech Republic. That's awesome. In the bench press. And then at one point, I remember sadly coming in second in a 5K that you guys hosted to raise money for her to go to Spain. Spain. To compete in... Duathlon. World Championships. World Championships. That's awesome. So, so Julie's a badass. She's a badass. What's that dynamic like of... Is her mindset pretty similar to ours of... I'm going to get shit done. I'm going to go. I'm a hyper competitive person. Or is she more of a, I enjoy doing this. I enjoy the benefits of doing this. So I'm going to keep doing it, but I don't need 
to dominate things. Yeah, she's so natural at it that she's just so natural at it that it just she enjoys doing it. She's not competitive. Um, I, I, like when she, when she wins at things and does really well at things, and I'm like, holy crap, you're freaking awesome or whatever. <laughs> she's like, I'm just a girl. I just had fun you today. Know, I'm just a girl. I just do what I do. And that's that's what's so crazy is, is she's so natural um, in, in how she does these things. And, and she doesn't have quite the same um, competitive fire that I do. But I think it I, I think it really has always been the beauty of our yin and yang. Right. It can that 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 because you guys are working out together almost every day, right? Hey, yeah. Every day. Yeah. We work out in our basement now. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Good for you guys. That's great. Yeah. So real life world, everything you've done, all the lessons you've learned, powerlifting, bodybuilding, strongman, running, biking, swimming, how does that, do you see, do you see it translate into your day-to-day -day life? You see the lessons totally. you learn every day. What would you say is the most common thing you take from all of that into each and every day? Discipline. 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 Okay. I mean, discipline. I mean, that's just. It's just dis discipline is discipline is the step between average and good, good and great, great and you know whatever you want to put above great. Um, LeBron James. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think discipline is the is the difference between them. It it it, it uh, and and this is you know work life play life at all of it, all of it. Um, you know, even for me in fishing and hunting, I'm disciplined at what I do. I'm disciplined at how I study my craft, even though I hunt ultimately to harvest deer because we like to eat it, but I study it and I, and I, and I strive to improve and I, it's not a casual endeavor for me. Well, I was just going to say that you hunt a lot harder than I hunt. Yeah. I, I enjoy the, the deer camp of hunting, yeah. right? You yeah, yeah, enjoy yeah. the hunt itself. You're out there, yeah. you're scouting, yeah. you don't miss a sunrise, you try not to miss a sunset. Yeah. Work gets in the way of that um, sometimes, but work's another good area to talk about discipline. Yeah. Um, you and I work together. Mm -hmm. um, almost every day we're communicating with each other. We formed this team relationship mm -hmm. uh, about a year and a half ago now. Um, I know that I bring uh, a lot to my work life of what I've learned running and stuff, similar to discipline. Mine's more, I'd say, if I had to pick a word, it'd be perseverance, keep going. Mm -hmm. I think what a lot of people don't realize, um, being a realtor, real estate agents, is there are, whether they be little one day and gigantic the next, there's a lot of obstacles every day that your clients, if you're good at what you do, don't know about, yeah. right? Yeah. You get through things. Um, so what do you think is the... Um, benefit or maybe a, a negative, if that's the way it goes, um, of, of having two of us who have been through these these difficult things in life working together, um, whether it be the way we can communicate to each other, the way we could rely on. I know they're going to get going if you're going on vacation. If things get going hard, this person's there. What do you think that mesh looks like? Well, I think the I think the beauty of it is, and I've I've, I've mentioned this to Logan. I've mentioned it to Julie. Um, I appreciate our relationship because you do have that built into you. You do have that discipline and that fire and that desire. Like I would have a hard time um, being in such a close relationship with, with someone in work that I knew wasn't always striving every day to get better. 
and and I know that you always want to learn and you always want to get better, and and I do too. Even after so many years and so many transactions, I still want to get better. I want to get better at and 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 hone my craft. Um, and so being alongside of somebody that has that same mentality is super important to me because otherwise I would feel like I'm pulling this person along or, you know, I'm spending all my time trying to encourage and, and, and whatever. Um, when what I want to do is just work at the work at the fundamentals of getting better rather than coaching mental attitude. Right. It's almost, uh, I, I agree 1000% with all of that. Um, which is one of the attractive, I have people ask me all the time, um, both in our office and out of our office, what's it like working with Matt? And I always say it, it's, it's, it's stressful, just the, the busyness in general, right? Yeah. But it's, it's great because I know you're going to hit the ground running every day, right? Yeah. It's, it's not low energy. And there's days where my energy might not be up, rare, but might not be there. But I know, all right, Matt's going to come knocking on that door and we're going to have to get mm -hmm. shit done today, mm -hmm. uh, which is great. So the last thing, and I'm not going to let you use discipline again. Mm -hmm. People out here watching this that are on the verge of, I want to try something I've never done, big or small. Mm -hmm. I want to try something I've never done, but I'm just scared, which is natural, which mm -hmm. is fine. What's your push to them? What's your, how do you get them out the door? What's your advice? It's a tough one. It, it is a it is a tough one, and there's a handful of things that are running through my mind. But you know, I, I think of the um, I think of the saying, you know, a journey of a million miles starts with a single step, and so it it really is it really is that single step. It really is that day that you decide I'm going to go walk for ten minutes. It is that day that you decide I'm going to talk to somebody about a new career. Um, it doesn't mean that you abandon your old career and that you said, that's it, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it, but have the conversation. You gotta take the first step. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm often reminded of when we owned the gym, of the stories that people would tell me of how many times they pulled into the parking lot and sat in their car and tried to muster up the courage to walk through the door. And they would leave, and the next day they would drive back into the parking lot, and they would sit, and they'd try to muster up the courage to come in the door, right? And, and, and at that time in my life, in that season of my life, I was like, what the fuck? You're like, like, I couldn't even understand that, right? right. Like, like, really? You, really? You, you, you sat in the parking lot and didn't come in the door? Because I, because I wasn't wired that way. Right. And eventually... Each one of these people, to be able to tell me that story, had to walk through the door. And, and so the victory was they walked through the door. Yeah. You know, now once you walk through the door, now I can embrace you. Mm -hmm. I can come alongside you. I can coach you. I can mentor you. I can high five you. But until you get out of the car and walk through the door, you're still on your own. Yeah. So does that, does no, that answer that's, the question? That's really cool because I think... I that, um, that's, that's perfect that you said it that way because I think the biggest problem is people are afraid to ask for help, right? Mm -hmm. The driving to the gym was the plea for help. The walking mm -hmm. through the door was the ask for help. When you're on the other side of that door as the gym owner, as the trainer, you don't know the person's on the other side in the parking lot. Right. You don't know they need help. So, and you're very willing to help. And so many people are willing to help. Mm -hmm. But until you go say, 
I need help or not even help. I want to take this step, but it's hard to take it alone. Mm-hmm. And I need someone to take that step with me. Then no, no one can reach their hand out and help you. So I think that's a great way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts? I think that was a great way to yeah, kind of no, hit the hammer no, on it. No, I love it. Love I appreciate it, it man. Yeah. Sure yeah. everyone else Cheers. appreciate it. Uh, thank you guys. Like, comment, share, that sort of thing. We appreciate it. Take it easy. Go do hard things. Run your life. Run your life.